pray. God, thank you for loving us, which enables us to love one another. And so let us get a glimpse of your love. And I thank you especially today for marriage and the beautiful idea that you had when you brought husband and wife together. And so, Lord, I pray, would you transform our thinking and understanding that it might come more in line with you, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we are talking about marriage in our Boundaries series today, and I know just saying that, that already some of you have tuned out because you're like, well, one, I'm too young. I'm not thinking about marriage at this season of my life yet, and I'll just say, um, may, at some point, you might. Maybe you won't, but you, you might. Or you're like, you know what, hey, I was married, I'm divorced now, I'm never saying I'm never going to get remarried, and so this is not for me. You might run into somebody you know who's going through some marriage problems that this just might touch their heart at some point. So I, I want to encourage you that there is something for everybody here today. If you're not married, um, don't, you don't have to tune out today, but just tune in to what God would have you to hear today. Because I want to frame it, I want to give you a verse to start with that I think really... Um, if everybody could live this proverb out, it would just transform the way we live our lives. And it's from Proverbs 4, chapter 23. It says this, above all else, and that's a great way to start. Like if you forget everything else I hear, this is the creme, uh, la creme, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now I wish I would have heard about this proverb, and I wish I would have grown up in a culture and a church that talked a lot about these proverbs and passing on wisdom to the next generation, because I did not have a great track record dating as a kid, because I didn't know uh, guarding your heart. All I knew was somebody gave me some attention, and with the hormones raging inside of me, I'm jumping all in with both feet. Like, Here is my heart on a platter and then it gets stomped on and I'm like oh what happened and you shake yourself off and you jump right back in again and you get hurt again over and over and nobody explained to me that oh there's something called guarding your heart you don't want to give your heart to somebody that's not trustworthy because you don't want to trust something that valuable to somebody if they haven't proven trustworthy yet and so the beginning of my ministry I spent a lot of time working with high school students and I loved that season of my ministry and inevitably the thing that would come up the most was well so-and-so just broke up with me and I'm crushed I don't think I'm ever gonna be able to ever love somebody again the way I love them and my heart is aching at this point in time in the back of my mind I'm thinking that'll be true until next week when you come and tell me you're not gonna believe who I just met it's the best thing in the world and you're gonna jump right back in and inevitably I used to joke about this board I would keep in my office that had all of their names on it and then I would just move names around when they start dating each other and, and doing this because I could never keep track in my mind of what was going on in the dating world of high school students at that point but I kept coming back to this verse over and over and encouraging them above everything else guard your heart because everything you do flows from your heart and so guard it set your direction of your heart intentionally and the reason I share that with you is because I learned something about myself that probably a lot of you would agree with, but I'll just make this as a personal statement for myself. If you want to own this one, um, that's great for you too. I can't trust my romantic feelings. I, I can't trust my romantic feelings. And I share with you when we kicked off this boundary series of a conversation I had with a counselor, and that led to putting down some criteria of 
people that I was looking for, characteristics of the kind of person I would want to spend the rest of my life with. And, and he, before, as he was framing that for me, he took out a picture of a picture frame. And he said, John, your problem is, is that everybody fits your picture. And that's not a good way to go through. That's not guarding your heart. Guarding your heart is saying, I've got an idea of what this is going to look like. And this is the kind of person I want to have. And so you have to have something more than just everybody fits your picture frame. So I, I learned later on, unfortunately, in life that I, I can't trust my feelings. And the reason I can't trust my feelings, not to get into all the biology because I did that a while ago, but just to remind ourselves that when we think of love, what we typically think of is what's going on, the biology, the psychology, the genetics, and we sort of all pour that in together into a potion, and we think that that is love. And what we realize is we've got a really warped understanding of what love is and what marriage is. And so what I want to do this morning for myself, and I hope that some of you are in the same boat, hopefully all of us, whether you're watching online or you're gathered here this morning, is I need to reevaluate my idea of marriage, and I need to reevaluate my idea of love. And so what I want to invite you to do is sort of forget everything you've learned about marriage, maybe from your parents, or what you've observed, what you picked up from the culture, what you've made up in your own mind, and, and just take a step back and look at marriage from a different vantage point. And the reason I think this is important, I learned this uh, lesson in college in sort of a unique kind of way. And I want to share this with you because it was my one shining academic moment that I ever have in my life. So I wanted to share it with you today. I was sitting in a calculus class in college. And I apologize, I know school hasn't even started yet. And some of you, when you hear the word calculus, like, oh. And you just groan on that. I loved math. I was a math nerd. I got a math minor on accident because I took too many math classes. And in this calculus class, we were taught this formula where if you want to find the area under a curve between two points, here's the formula, and then you do and you spit out, and here is the area underneath that curve. And so we'd do that, and then inevitably they'd teach us something, we'd go and do some homework lessons with that, and we'd come back to class, and then we'd learn another lesson, we'd go through that and do another one, and then we have a test on it, and then the semester's over, you take another level. And, and so in the midst of that, I'm doing my homework as a student, because I was a rule follower, and so I'm doing my homework, and I get to problem number four, and I get to problem number four, find the area under this curve, and the formula doesn't work. And so my first reaction is, well, I messed up. I did something wrong. So I get another sheet of paper, and I start working the formula. I get to the same point. It's like, it doesn't work. This formula doesn't work. It's, it, it doesn't give the answer that we're looking for. And so I'm frustrated by this, as some of you are right now, because you're just like stressing, thinking about calculus. And that was like, I was like staring at my paper, like, I don't get it. This is frustrating. Math is usually easy for me. Why can't I figure this out? And I heard God sort of just nudge me a little bit. And this is why, students, you really should pray when you do your homework, because God will lead you sometimes to just neat little insights like this. And he said, just take a step back for a moment. I'm like, okay. So I stepped away from the paper for a moment. And he said, what, what are you trying to do? I'm like, I'm trying to find the area of this object. So, okay, so why don't you draw the object? I'm like, well, we're not supposed to draw the object. We're supposed to plug in the numbers to a formula and spit it out and we get the, just right. And so I, I wrote down the dimensions of this and then I drew it out and it turns out it was a right triangle. Now, for those of you who are geometry nerds, you're like, oh, well, you know how to find an area of that. It's one half base times height. That's pretty easy. And, and so I'm like, it, can't be that easy, right? Just take half of base times height. And so I took one half base times height and I did what some of you do and maybe you do it before you come up with the answer. I turned to the back of the math book <laughs> and I look and I'm like, number four, it's the right answer. 
and I was really, really proud of myself. And so I was even more proud of myself when I pulled into the next class, and uh, the teacher would always ask at the beginning, hey, does anybody have any questions on any homework? And everybody's hand, I couldn't get number four, number four, I couldn't get it, couldn't figure it out. And so he goes up on the chalkboard. This is how old I am. Chalk is a board, and he wrote with chalk and stuff. And, and he's up on the board, and he's writing down this whole formula, and he gets down to that point that I gotten down to, and it's like, it doesn't work. He's like, oh, I messed to race the whole thing, and he starts over again, he gets down to that same point, it's, huh, that doesn't work, and he's frustrated, he's trying to figure it out, and finally he's like, did anybody get this question? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, sort of sheepishly raising my hand, because nobody else in class was raising their hand, he's like, well, John, you, you want to come up and show us? I'm like, no, I really don't want to come up and show you, but I guess I will now, and so I go up and I race what he did, and I said, well, I figured out, um, we're trying to find the area, and, and I plotted it, and it turns out it's a right triangle, and that's why this formula doesn't work, evidently. If you find a right triangle, the formula doesn't work, but it will work one half base times height. And the kids in the class, that's not fair. You've got to use the formula for calculus. This isn't geometry. Uh. And I'm like, but it's the right answer. And the teacher's like, well, yeah, there you go. You got the right answer. Sometimes, and I'm sure this is why they put this in the book, you have to look at actually what you're doing. You don't just use a formula because you're supposed to use the formula. You're supposed to find the area underneath the curve. And so what I want you to do this morning is take a step back and say, what we we're trying to do this morning is to get a different vantage point of what marriage is. We're not thinking about marriage the way we've always thought about marriage. We want to take a step back from the chalkboard a little bit and take a step back and look at it from God's vantage point. And so what I want to do is take what Kirby read for us just a moment ago and unpack this uh, a little bit for you um, so we can reevaluate our marriage from this vantage point. So take a look at verse 3 of chapter 19. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Because this was their culture. Now, we've got no-fault divorce in the culture that we live in here. Um, back then, this is part of their understanding. There were really two groups of people, to give you some context of what was going on. There are two rabbi groups. One is the Hillel group, and the Hillel group was a much more open interpretation that they said if, if the wife would do anything um, that would upset the man, that would be a reason for divorce. I don't like the way she cooks. I don't like the way she, she um, clothes, you know, dresses. I don't like the way she raises the kids. Whatever it was, he could write her a certificate of divorce. That was the Hillel group. The Shema group, um, they were ones of really a strict interpretation that outside of marital infidelity, there is really no reason to get divorced. And so what they came to reason, the reason this was a test for Jesus is the Pharisees wanted him to pick one of the camps. Okay, pick one, Jesus. Which one is right? The strict interpretation or the open interpretation? Because, man, when you pick one or the other, there's going to be a whole group of people that don't like you. And then when a whole group of people doesn't like you, that helps us because we don't really like you, Jesus. So pick a camp, would you? Go ahead. We're waiting for your answer. And this isn't um, going to be projected, but if you were listening carefully or if you got your Bible open or you're looking at your YouVersion Bible app, um, Jesus says, haven't you read? He replied, and he goes back to the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, where God created the world, and he created Adam and Eve, and then brought them together. And I imagine Jesus sort of sarcastically saying that, haven't you read? I'm not sure. You guys are supposed to be teachers of the law. You might have missed the first couple chapters um, of Genesis, you know, that Moses wrote, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two that just can be separated, but they're, they're one. And then these words that I love, and I just spoke these over my great niece's wedding that I did uh, in Iowa just last weekend. Therefore, what God has joined together, 
let no one separate. And I love speaking that over when couples have shared their vows and they've shared their rings and I pronounce them to be husband and wife. The last thing I say over them is what God has joined together. Let no one separate. This is what God intended for marriage to be. To which they replied, now verse 7, Why then, they asked, did Moses then command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? If this was God's intention from the beginning, that there is no divorce and that should never happen, then why did Moses command it? And we're going to hear in just a little bit, Moses didn't command it. Moses permitted it. Now, I want to be careful here uh, in what I say because what God clearly says is God doesn't want us to stay in, in an abusive relationship. And I've counseled some people that have been in abusive relationships. This is not what God intends for relationships. So if you're being physically uh, abused, emotionally abused, uh, man, get some help and let's get you in a safe place and get you out of that uh, environment. What I am saying is so often people have you know, one or the other. Well, do I stay in this relationship and be miserable? Or um, do I leave and just walk away? And my answer to that is I'm not sure those are the only two options that we've got here. There's a whole gamut between those things. And let's talk through these things. Let's pray through these things. Let's bombard heaven with this. Because if both of you are willing to work on this, that any relationship can work. It's just a matter of how hard we're going to have to work at it so let's get the help that we need and maybe we need to separate for a period of time and get back on track let's get you into a good therapist who can sit down with you and help you unpack some of the past wounds and hurts and why you continue to hurt one another and let's un unpack this a little bit so I'm not saying um, that it's also an unforgivable sin and that bothers me too is having a conversation uh, this morning um, after the message and and, you know, hearing these words like, well, you can't get remarried. If you've been divorced and you get remarried, you're committing adultery. Um, which is why I love the verse that I shared in the confession. And everybody has committed adultery. There's probably not a male on the face of the earth that hasn't looked at somebody lustfully in their heart. So we're all in that relation. We're all broken from this standpoint. So let's not point fingers at one another. Let's try to love one another well. So Jesus comes to the answer to this question and before we get to the answer to this question I want to again give you something very personally that I've come to the realization of and I really hope that you you're watching at home or right here that you'll come to the same realization and it's simply this that I still need to work on my heart that man I am not done yet and if my wife could get up here and thank God we don't have that kind of church where you want to hear from my wife a lot nor would she like to do this kind of thing she's really gifted at what she does she does not like standing up in front of people and and talking like this but if we ask her to come up here and stand and can you share um, some of the mistakes John has made over the marriage where he has just made you miserable over a period of time she could fill a lot of time <laughs> talking about stories of that things I'm embarrassed of that I wouldn't want anybody to know it's just you know, there's a part of that just selfish and some we just some of you tired or whatever it is and you're angry and you're frustrated and you just do stupid stuff I still do stupid stuff but I hope at the end of my wife's testimony she would get up and she would say but you know what over the the last years boy John continues to get better at, at loving me because we all have a level of brokenness that we carry around and we live in a broken world in a broken society and we want the whole world to revolve around us 
and my comfort and what I want and what I need. And, and so we think that's the way it should be. And when we bump up against something like marriage that says it's not all about you anymore because now the two have become one flesh and so you're not just thinking for yourself, you're thinking for two people and two individuals that I still need to work on my heart. And this is where I'm so incredibly thankful that God doesn't love me the way that I love him. That God loves me unconditionally and he loved me first, which enables me to love one another. I, I'm, I'm so glad that Margaret has put up with me uh, for so many years. And I'm glad that she loves me that way. She doesn't love me like I deserve to be loved. This is what God intended marriage to look like. This is why God says it's not good for people to be unequally yoked. If you have somebody whose heart is following Jesus and I'm following God who's loved me and you connect yourself with somebody who's not connected with Jesus and not following Jesus, their heart's moving in a different direction. They're not following a selfless, sacrificial kind of love. That's not the this love that they're living their lives with. And so at some point, and you're going to be pulling in two different directions. So God invites us to come back, and the first thing we need to come back to is I need to work on my heart. And what you quickly realize when you start working on your heart is I can't work on my own heart. And I need Jesus to give me a heart transplant. God, I need you to expose the selfishness and the brokenness and the things that are keeping me from experiencing the kind of marriage you want me to have. And so Jesus, I need you to do that. And this is where all of heaven cries out. I need you to understand the heart uh, of God. That God could have I mean, the way God created the world, it was all good. It was perfect. And Adam and Eve living in the Garden of Eden in the presence of God and enjoying one another. There's no shame in their relationship at all. And in the midst of that, they, they bust open a whole world of brokenness and darkness and sin and, and anger and frustration with one another and it would set the world on a totally different trajectory. And instead of God going, well, you messed it up. I'll see you guys later. I'm leaving. <laughs> You're on your own. And God so loved the world that he stepped into the mess and the chaos that we created. And he said, I can't leave you in your mess. I can't leave you in your chaos. I can't leave you in your pain. I can't leave you in your isolation. I can't leave you in your understanding of what love is. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to demonstrate love. I'm going to come as a form of a man. I'm going to leave the paradise of heaven, the perfection of eternity, and I'm going to step into the world and live a perfect life So to demonstrate to you what it looks like to love one another. And then I'm going to lay down my life, the very creation that I came to die for. They're going to kill me, and I'm going to lay down my life, and then I'm going to rise up again that you would know that your sins have been paid for and forgiven. This is how God loves you. And I never get tired of telling that story, as simplistic as it is, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And it is the crux of everything, and it changes and transforms everything. It transforms marriage. It transforms the way we live lives. It transforms the way we love one another. I need Jesus in my life. And if you are watching at home, if you're sitting here today, you're like, I'm not sure I have that kind of intimate relationship with Jesus today. Maybe Jesus is tugging on your heart, and today is the day that transformational change is going to happen in your life, that God is going to awaken your soul to know who he is. And let me just challenge you today. If you're watching online, man, 
and connect with somebody. Just type down in the text box there. We would love to chat with you about who Jesus is today. Don't miss out on this opportunity. If you're here today, don't leave without talking to somebody about Jesus. I would love to do that. There are people at the connection counter that would love to do that and talk to you about Jesus because Jesus transforms the world. Not only do I, I need Jesus, but I, I need Jesus and I also need his people around me. And this is a beautiful thing, the way the church is supposed to operate, which is why we love small groups here at St. John, that we want every single person to be connected in a small group, that they got a group of people around them that can encourage them so that when you get trapped and you're isolated in your pain and your hurt and you're in a marriage that just seems dysfunctional and there's no way out of that, that you have somebody that can come alongside and say, you know what, I've been there or I've been down a different trajectory before and here's how God orchestrated and worked in my life. I want to remind you that it can get better. But so often when we just isolate ourselves and we keep our hurt and pain, all of us need heart work. All of us need, and all of us have heart problems. Look at verse 8 of what Jesus said. Jesus said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But that's not the way it was in the beginning. It was never God's intention for marriages to come to an end. And I find it very interesting. This is in Matthew chapter 19. You know, it comes right before Matthew 19. 18. Wasn't a trick question. Right before that. There weren't chapters and verses. We added those later. Uh, Matthew didn't write it down with, oh, here's another verse. Oh, here's another verse. They were just a collection. And it was meant to be read as a whole. And, and so in Matthew 18, right before this, Jesus is talking about forgiveness and how we forgive one another. Because none of us are perfect. All of us have heart issues. And so God says, if you're going to do life together, you're going to have to learn to forgive one another. And so if somebody's hurt you, you've got to go to them and tell them. And if they're not listening to you, then maybe grab somebody else that they respect and come alongside. And if you still need some help, then get the church to come alongside and, and come and help them see so that you can experience forgiveness and oneness together again. This is what God intended. And I love this, the way God set this up. So he finishes talking about forgiveness. And then the very beginning, if you heard Kirby read it, maybe you skipped right over it. When Jesus had finished saying these things, what do you mean, saying what things? About forgiveness. I love how Jesus orchestrated this. I'm going to teach you about forgiveness. And then, watch this, right after this, some Pharisees are going to come up, and they're going to ask me a question about divorce. And this is all going to tie together. It's going to be beautiful. God sets these things up. This is incredible the way God does this. Well, I don't want you to go without having some practical things that you can do or to have some tools in your pocket so if you are in a relationship that is not everything you want it to be or maybe it, it's broken and you're on the verge of like we're calling quits and I don't know what to do or maybe you know somebody that is and I want you to have these couple tools in your tool belt if you would um, the first one is a focus on the family hope restored and it's a wonderful organization I've known people that have gone there and they have um, now they've done statistics over the years an 85% success rate of those couples who were just at each other's throats and ready to call it quits and walk away and they've gone to Hope Restored and 85% of those people two years later uh, are still married and working toward a better marriage it's miraculous the work uh, that these people do it's all Christian based based on focus on the family and the work that they do if you're like, man, my marriage isn't in crisis. I would like to get better at marriage. I think this would be a great tool. My wife and I, a couple of years ago, uh, went to one from New Life uh, Intimacy and Marriage. 
And that is a great weekend experience. And the tools that you learn to have a better, deeper connection with one another, I would highly encourage. I would love for every couple to go through um, intimacy and marriage. It is an incredible, incredible experience. And so if you know somebody that could use one of those two conferences, man, write those down. They'll be on our social media pages as well, or just ask me about it. I'll be happy to remind you and put you in contact uh, with those people. It's a wonderful organization. So what does all this have to do with uh, spouses? What I want to do is go back to our first verse. Above all else, guard your heart. I want you to do is, is guard your understanding of what marriage is. Because my guess is that we bought into what the culture has to say about marriage. And the boundary has been blurred. And so we've got our no-fault divorce. We got marriage. Oh, it's marriage can be anything we think it is. It doesn't really matter anymore. We can pretend like we're married and not really married. And, and we have so blurred those lines. Those boundaries are, are just complete, completely unclear. That it's, it's so hard for us to understand another culture because he's so bought into our way of thinking. Like cultures who have arranged marriage, it's so hard for us in our mind to think, ah, how could you arrange a marriage? That seems so crazy to me. And they look at us and like, the way you're doing marriage doesn't seem to be working either. I think what you do is crazy. All I'm inviting us to do is to look at what we've done with marriage and the boundary we put around that. And just start asking questions. Where did that come from? Does that come from God? Or is that just something I made up? Or is that something I've just believed, but it's not from God? I invite you to just take a look at what you think about marriage, whether you're married or whether you want to get married at some point or you used to get married. Take some time and, and wrestle with this and think about these boundaries that I built around romance and about marriage and, and what is it that God has to say in this.